prayer and then uh, we'll get into it. Let's pray. Uh, We want to thank you for this morning. Thank you that after uh, months of preparation, Good News Week is finally on us. And we ask of you this morning that uh, you will do great things amongst us. We pray uh, our desire is to see people in our community come to know Jesus. And we do pray that uh, you will do that amongst us that you'll gather people to us, that you'll give us a boldness in having these final invitations and please gather people into your kingdom. Please use our efforts this week for your glory. Father, we pray that as we come to consider prayer this morning, you'll remind us afresh of what an incredible privilege it is and please remove whatever barriers and roadblocks are there in our lives to stop us from praying We do pray that you will make us a people of prayer, uh, obedient children uh, who delight in calling on your name. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Now, um, take you back to December 2002, uh, Boxing Day Test Match. And uh, Steve Waugh comes out to bat. Now, he comes out to bat in an incredible difficult situation. It's the fourth innings. Australia is struggling, three down for about 50 runs. Uh, Steve Waugh comes to the crease. It's Australia versus England, fourth Ashes test. Um, Steve Waugh comes to the crease and there's a big cloud over his head in terms of his form. Uh, There's been calls for him. Maybe it's his time to be ousted from the team and so on. Faces up to his first ball. He's batting against Harmison and he nicks it and it goes through and the keeper just misses it and it goes away for four. Second delivery, faces up and he gets a slight nick on it, goes through to the keeper, keeper catches it and he's out. But does anyone know what happened? Is anyone up on their cricket? No, no, it wasn't a no ball. It was a legitimate delivery. Umpire didn't give it. Why didn't he give it? No one appealed. Can you believe that? So most of the time in cricket, people are appealing even if it's a foot away from the bat, but it actually hit the bat, no one appealed, so he wasn't given out. And in cricket, unless you ask, you cannot get the guy out. Uh, and so then the replay was shown and they worked out, you know, the crowd worked out he was out and the Barmy Army was just furious uh, <laughs> that this had happened, but he just stayed on batting. And um, I won't tell you the rest of the story there. But um, now what has this got to do with prayer, you might ask? Um, Well, James chapter 4 verse 2. So this is the passage. Keep your Bible open there at James chapter 4 verse 2. Um, And I'll also be referring to a few of those other passages. I don't know where I put that bit of paper. Oh, here it is. So in your outline are a whole lot of passages that I'm going to run through this morning. But I didn't print out James chapter 4 because we'll come back to that a few times. And James chapter 4 verse 2 says this, You want something but you don't get it. So you kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You don't have because you do not ask God. See why they don't have? Because they do not ask God, our Father. 
Our loving Heavenly Father wants us to ask Him for things and sometimes we don't have the good things that we want simply because we haven't actually asked God for them. We've gone about trying to get them in a whole lot of other ways but we've actually neglected to bring it before God and ask Him. So this morning we're considering this question, why should we pray? But I reckon once you understand prayer a little bit, you realise that's a silly question. It's a bizarre question because why wouldn't you pray? Um, Now, if you weren't here last week, I'll just do a bit of a recap. We did two simple points last week. Firstly, God is able to do whatever we ask. Nothing is impossible with God. And we just went through a whole lot of scriptures that just ram home that point. A fundamental foundation of prayer is that nothing is impossible with God. Secondly, God is willing to give us every good thing. He is our heavenly Father. So he not only created the world and is all-powerful, he loves us dearly as his special children and he's willing to give us good things just as a father does. Indeed, point three, God commands us to pray. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, there on your outline, pray continually. Or Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests and with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Now, why do you, why do you need a command? Why do you need to be commanded to do something? Generally, you need a command because it's something you find difficult or unpleasant to do. So when I was growing up, you know, like I'd go around to my grandma's place and she would, you know, the Brussels sprouts are there and they've been steamed for about three hours and they're just a little limp and she says, eat your Brussels sprouts. And it's sort of like, I don't want to, it's unpleasant, they taste terrible, but it's sort of like I grip my teeth and I just, you know, because my grandma's commanding me and she says it's good for me, I follow through and I do it. Um, But it's one of those things, it's just deeply unpleasant, but I do it anyway because she's commanded me. Now, prayer is not like that. Prayer, what we're saying about prayer is we've got this loving Heavenly Father who is all-powerful and can give us, has the power to give us whatever we want. Why would we find prayer an unpleasant thing? Why would we need to be commanded to pray? I think the very fact that you find these commands in the Bible indicates that there is actually something wrong with us that we would actually be needed to be commanded to pray. Now come on to the fourth point and that is God uses our prayers to bring about his purposes. Now God's free to do whatever he wants, right? Incredibly powerful, can do whatever he wants but God has chosen to take our prayers right, as inconsistent, as weak, as feeble, as unbelieving as they often are, God has chosen to take our prayers and use them to bring about his purposes. Now, isn't that extraordinary? And you think, if I was God, I don't know if I'd be doing that, but this is, what, this is the way God has chosen to do things. As our Father, he wants to involve his children in the outworking of his plans. And so whilst he can do anything, he graciously chooses to involve us 
in bringing about his purposes through our prayers. So, two passages there. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. This is one of these big picture, cosmic, you know, uh, episodes. We're going to look at um, Revelation from February through to April this year. We're going to work our way through Revelation, but here's just a taste. Right? What you have is Jesus, the Lamb, um, he's given this scroll by God and the scroll contains the secrets of um, God's unfolding plan. And have a look at verse 8. When Jesus had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. So in amidst this huge cosmic scene, the prayers of the saints, that is our prayers, take centre stage. Chapter 8 verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And he says, I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God from the angels' hands. Can you see... What, what's going on there and you see it through the whole Bible is that in the midst of God's big picture unfolding plans, our prayers have a significance that is way beyond anything that we would expect or imagine but we need to trust God that he has given us this significance within his purposes. Our prayers really matter. They are part of God's unfolding purposes in our universe. So if that's, if that's the starting point of prayer, right? God is all-powerful. Um, he's willing to answer our prayers. He commands us to pray and he uses our prayers beyond our wildest dreams. Then I suppose the question is, why don't we pray? Why don't we take this privilege and revel in it? Now, I want to just run through seven reasons um, with you and uh, interact with some of the Bible passages as we go. And the f- reason number one, why don't we pray? I reckon sometimes we don't believe it's going to make any difference. Now, if I interviewed you, I'm sure none of us would actually come out and say that. But, you know, we, if God is in control... And if he wants to answer our prayers, then what, what other reason could there be for us not praying that we, don't, then, that we don't actually believe that God will answer our prayers or that God is able to do anything? See, when you get sick, what do you do? What's your reaction when you get sick? Four common things, right? The first thing you do is you just try to keep going and plough on through it, right? Some of us don't. Some of us skip step one and we go straight to step two, which is you take a Panadol. Um, now, what happens? Men whinge. Oh, I forgot the men whinge bit, right? <laughs> step two and a half or one and a half. Or that's even before you try to get on with it, isn't it? Uh, okay. All right. So what do you do? You whinge. 
you try to get on with it, you take a Panadol. If pain persists, you see a doctor. Um, now, some people jump straight to that step, don't they? But if pain persists, see a doctor and then if all else fails, I'll offer up a prayer, you know, because maybe, you know, nothing else is working, so I'll try praying. Now, why is it that prayer is often the last resort? When all else fails, we pray. I think it's partly because we have a deistic view of God. Now, I'm going to explain what I mean by that word, a deistic view of God. That is, you can sort of divide up your thinking about the world into the natural world and into the supernatural world. And so, in the category of the natural world, you might put just the normal way things happen. You know, you've got the laws of nature, the laws of gravity, you know, things fall to the ground, all that sort of stuff. Um, and within, within that sphere, we can study our world and we can, you know, come up with medicine and science and we can actually work out, create Panadol and we have doctors and all that sort of stuff. And so we lump all that stuff in the natural world but then anything beyond that, anything that we don't understand or really seems quite out of the ordinary and bizarre, we lump that in our thinking about the supernatural world. Um, now, often we think of God operating in this supernatural sphere, but we divorce him from the natural sphere. But the God we meet in the Bible is in control of the supernatural and the natural world. Sometimes he operates outside the natural world, like when he stops the sun in the middle of the sky in the days of Joshua. And you think, whoa, that is just like, there's nothing normal about that at all. It is totally miraculous and supernatural. But sometimes he chooses to use very normal means to bring about extraordinary things. Like, you know, when he parted the Red Sea in Exodus, um, extraordinary miracle, but have a look at how it's described in, there in Exodus chapter 14, verse 21. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and he turned it into dry land. See, God is doing this incredible miracle, but he does it through very ordinary means. He sends this strong wind, and I, I understand these winds do sweep across that part of the world, and there's just this wind that buffeted the sea over a period of time, and the seas were parted. Um, now, just because God uses natural means doesn't stop God being in control of them. So here we go. When we get sick, this is what we ought to do. Don't whinge, right? It's going to annoy everybody. Now, what you do is pray. Step one, pray. Step two, try to just get on with it. Step three, take a Panadol. Step four, if pain persists, see your doctor. Um, now, and then what happens when you get better, you give thanks to God for answering your prayer. And it doesn't matter if you got better before you took the Panadol or the Panadol helped or the doctor or whatever because God can use Panadol to, make you, to answer your prayer. He can use a doctor. Um, he can use some totally inexplicable means if he wants to. And I think the other thing to say is God might not, in, not, God might not say yes as well. God might say, no, you need to stop. And this is the only way I'm going to get you to stop. 
is to actually give you this pain at this time. You need to take time to rest or whatever God needs to teach you at this time. And so whilst we mightn't be getting the outcome we desire, we can trust God that he's actually working good in this situation and whatever God has in mind, it's actually for my benefit. So I'm going to trust him in it. All right, there's the first point. That's a big one. I don't believe it will make any difference. Let me go through some of the others. Reason number two why we don't proud, I'm, why we don't pray, I'm too proud to pray. Um, and I, you know, do you know the number two on the charts of top-selling funeral songs? Number one is, oh, no, not Amazing Grace. That's number two, right? Number one is the wind beneath my wings, right? Did you ever know that you're my hero? Um, you know, and I won't sing it for you right now. <laughs> Wayne's looking quite ill just um, mentioning that song. Uh, <laughs> number one, wind beneath. But number two, I did it my way, right? And that's that we are brought up to have this part of maturing is having this independence where we don't have to rely on anyone where we do things our way in our own strength and there's a sense to which that's esteemed as a great quality in our society. But this is why being a Christian is so weird because what we are being called on as Christians is to live as children of God and part of being children of God is humble dependence on our Father that he is stronger than us and more capable than us and we can entrust ourselves into his care. Now, for some of us here, I know that we've come to that point, but some of us have only come to that point because we have been totally broken. We've come to a point of desperation where we, where, where we feel like God is our only out, our last resort. And I want to encourage all of us, you don't have to come to that point before you learn humble dependence on God. I reckon God can teach you that lesson through a lot of pain if you want him to, but far better to to humbly rely on him, trusting in his word, um, and don't make him put you through the pain to get you to that point. Mark chapter 10, verse 14. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You want to enter the kingdom of God? It requires you to humbly depend on your heavenly father as a little child. You need to give up that stubborn independence as if you are the master of your own destiny and place yourselves in the hands of your heavenly Father who loves you and will care for you. That's reason number two. Reason number three, I reckon it's the most common one that comes to our mind, that is, I'm too busy to pray. And I don't want to sort of treat this as a triviality because we, lots of us lead extraordinarily busy lives. And isn't it funny, as you go through life, you sort of think, oh, I could... I couldn't actually pack in anything else into my life. And then you have kids and you think, oh my goodness, I had no idea how busy it could be. And, then, and, and God just takes you through these different stages where you actually realise, oh, there's actually, a, I, I can just get busier and busier and busier, it feels. 
And it can feel like you're just constantly rushing from one thing to the next. You know, you, you work and then you're travelling from work and then you've, you know, you've got to look after your kids or your sporting commitments or whatever. And so by the time you get a little bit of spare time, you can feel like all you want to do is just throw yourself on the lounge or sleep or just watch some telly and just chill out for a while. See, we can feel too busy to read our Bibles. We can feel too busy to take a day off to rest. And we can feel too busy to pause and pray. But I want to say, we must not give in to our busyness. Don't give in to it. Fight it. I love the title of the book by Bill Hybels. You know the book, um, Too Busy Not to Pray. I reckon that's a very clever title. I haven't read the book. But it's a clever title because it involves a mind shift. And that is, when I'm busy, when life is stressful, um, then rather than thinking I'm too busy to pray, you actually say, well, this is... I'm too busy not to pray. Prayer is such a, a significant, important thing that when I'm busy is the, is the most important time to come before God in prayer. Now, Mary and Martha's story is um, a good example in this, isn't it, in the Bible? So you've got Jesus comes to visit Mary and Martha. Martha's rushing around trying to you know, do the dishes, get things ready. And, and there is Mary, flipping Mary. She's sitting at Jesus' feet and she's just... Listening to him, and Martha, you can imagine her just getting more and more worked up and irate. What's he flipping? And, and so she says to Jesus, I say she's distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. See, in all our busyness, we need to maintain right priorities. Prayer is an awesome privilege for the children of God. It's something that God commands, he desires it as well. And what we need to do is deliberately reorder our priorities so that we have time to sit at Jesus' feet. We heard Beth talking about having to discipline uh, herself to do that. So I take it that means you know we need to free ourselves up to have time in God's Word, um, to take a day off. I think it's a very healthy pattern. Uh, and if you don't think you ought to have a day off a week, come talk to me and I can wrestle that one through with you. Um, and taking time to pray, to commit ourselves to God. Now, there's a great verse in 1 Corinthians 7 there. Have a look at that one. Um, it's one of those surprising verses about prayer because it, the context has nothing to do with prayer, but he just slips a comment about prayer in there. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her, her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Don't deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. See the point? The point he's trying to make is sex is really important. If you're married, sex ought to be a priority. It ought to be something that's a regular pattern of your married lives. But there is an exception where you might decide to have a break from sex. And he's saying don't do it for too long, right? But just there might be a period where you say, all right, we're going to have 
a break from sex so that we can commit ourselves to prayer. So what he's saying is, sex is a very high priority, prayer is even higher. So make sure you get them both sorted out in your lives uh, if you're a married couple. Reason number four, um, why I don't pray, I feel too spiritually dry to pray. Now, do you ever feel like that? Now, Beth, Beth hinted at this, and I, I do the same. Is if I go for days without, you know, committing myself to prayer, what can happen is that it can start to feel like there's a big mountain that you have to climb. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? So you sort of feel like um, it can feel like it's harder and harder to pray, and so you can become distracted by the easiest thing because you feel like. I don't, I don't know what it is. Um, someone can come and explain it to me afterwards, but in your mind you can create a big barrier when in reality God's not putting a barrier there. It's a barrier that we are creating from our side. And what we need to do at that point is remember the character of God. He's our Father. He loves us. And I am acceptable before him only by grace. I haven't done anything to deserve it um, and so I shouldn't start putting barriers to force myself to climb over. Now, our prayers aren't always going to be enthusiastic and passionate. We're not always going to be you know, gripped in a fervent sense of prayer but that's okay. We ought to persevere in prayer even when we don't feel like it or even when we're looking for distraction keep persevering in prayer. Reason number five, I'm too ashamed to pray. You know, many of us, or probably most of us, have certain sins that just we feel like just keep coming back again and again and again. Anger, gossip, greed, addiction, sexual immorality. I don't know what it is for you. And when we fail in that area of life again, you can sort of just feel like, oh, you can feel like too much of a failure. You can feel too unworthy to approach God again because you sort of feel like, oh, I've just let myself and God down yet again. Now, again, what we need to do is remember the character of God. Remember you know, that parable where two men went up to the temple to pray, Pharisee, tax collector. The Pharisee says, oh, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. You know, I know I fast and I all do all these stuff. And then the tax collector says, just won't even look up, knows he's not worthy, he beats his breast and he says, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And God says, Jesus says, it is the tax collector, the one who felt totally unworthy, who went home right with God and not the Pharisee. We've got to be careful that we don't start the Christian life as the tax collector but think we have to become the Pharisee over the years down the track. Right? Always unworthy um, and let's not put barriers in place that God hasn't put in place. Reason number six um, is that I am content with mediocrity. Um, and that is some Christians want enough of Jesus to feel safe, to be identified with him, to know your future secure but not enough to be seriously inconvenienced um, in my day-to-day pattern of life. Now, 
for those Christians, there is no struggle in prayer because they just don't bother. And I want to say that is a dangerous place to come to. So this morning might be a good opportunity for a wake-up, for a, um, a recommitment to wrestle, to persevere in prayer. James chapter 4, verse 1. Have a look at what he says about uh, that sort of way of thinking. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but you don't get it. You kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God and when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. See, James has written in part to rebuke those who are trying to uh, have a foot in both camps. Still love the world, love Jesus and I'm trying to pull off that double act. Uh, and he's saying that is adultery. Right? You've got you've, you've to go wholeheartedly with Jesus. Don't be content with mediocrity. Now, this final reason that we've got to be aware of, of why we don't pray, is that Satan wants to undermine our prayers. Uh, we need to realise that we live uh, in a world that has much, much beyond what we can see. Right? And prayer depends on that, doesn't it? We pray to the unseen God. But we also know that there is an unseen enemy, Satan, and he wants to undermine our prayers. The last thing he wants us to do is to be depending on God, to believe in God, to trust God. So, James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. See, Satan wants to undermine your relationship with God, but how do you resist him? By drawing near to God in prayer and expressing that dependence. You see the same in 1 Peter chapter 5 and also there in Ephesians chapter 6. We are in the midst of a spiritual battle. Satan is our enemy. He's going to undermine our relationship with God any way he can and he wants to stop us praying and that is, that is why it is such a struggle. Don't be surprised if you struggle to be regular in prayer because Satan is behind the scenes doing his work. Resist him and draw near to God. I want to come to the conclusion. And in conclusion, I want to say that lots of the things that we've been looking at this morning are symptoms. Um, they are symptoms of underlying issues. And the underlying issues is about our understanding of God. So often we don't pray because we don't trust that God is a good God who loves us, um, who operates on the basis of grace towards us, who doesn't operate on the basis of how worthy we are. And as much as we hear that, often we live our lives not believing it. Let's, let's keep reshaping the way we think about God. We need to reshape the way we think about ourselves too. Because often we can so think of ourselves as the master of our own destinies that it all depends on me and so we stubbornly resist bringing things to God.
when he wants us to. And the other thing that we don't understand is we don't take into account this spiritual warfare, that we have an enemy in the unseen world, Satan, who is trying to undermine our good efforts to uh, commit ourselves to God in prayer. And we need to resist him and draw near to God. I want you to just think about a couple of questions as we finish up. Here they are up on the screen. Just for you to think and pray about um, in the quietness of your own heart. Why don't I pray more? And how can I be more committed to prayer in the year ahead? And I don't want this just to become a, like a, uh, a legalistic, like I'm, I'm going to beat myself up over this. What, what you want to do is, why don't I pray more? Try, try to actually think through what, what are the un, underlying beliefs that you need to change. And then you might actually think of some constructive steps that you're going to put in place over the year ahead and, and talk to someone about it this morning and then you can keep each other, you know, check up on each other and encourage one another in it. It was good to hear Beth saying that even her praying together with other Christians was a spur on for her in her own private prayer life and I'm sure that's true. So just take a little bit of time um, on your own thinking about those two questions and then I'll pray for us in just a little while. God our Father, as we head into another year, uh, it's always a good opportunity to reflect on our lives and our priorities and the patterns of life. Father, we do desire this morning to be more and more a people of prayer and yet we know that there are so many resolutions that we have tried in the past uh, where we've failed. We want to entrust uh, this, this um, request into your hands. We pray that you will uh, enable us to be more committed to you in prayer, more dependent. Help us to establish uh, good and healthy patterns of life in hearing from your word, in times of rest and in times of prayerful dependence. And Father, we pray that you will help us not, not to become legalistic about this uh, as if it is um, a good work that is put to our credit. Father, we pray that it will be the overflow of a relationship with you and we pray that you'll keep helping us to, to uh, keep renewing our minds by your spirit, by your word so that we do live in light of your goodness and your grace so that we do recognise our enemy, Satan, and that we do resist him, uh, that we do draw near to you. And our Father, we have a big request as we head into the week ahead. Father, we so want to see men, women, children, families. Throughout our community, we so want to see people come to know the Lord Jesus and come into your kingdom. Father, we know that this is something that you desire as well. So we place this request before you this morning that you will gather people into your kingdom even in this coming week.
and we pray that you will gather brothers and sisters in Christ who will be with us for the coming years and into eternity. And we pray that it will be all for Jesus, for his glory. Amen. Thanks, Dave. There's just an announcement to make here that this morning